Welcome to this business of music and poetry podcast, where the life of a creative meets the real world. I'm Michael Amade, host World Poetry Open Mic, The Michael Amade Show, author of more books than I should mention, musician, poet, and above all, creative entrepreneur. My collaborator and conspirator in this project is Clifford Brooks, founder of the Southern Collective Experience, host of Dante's Old South on NPR, poet and author of The Draw, Broken Eyes, and Whirling Metaphysics, Exiles of Eden, and Athena Departs, The Gospel of a Man Apart. Our guest today is Christopher Swan. Christopher Swan is a novelist and a high school English teacher in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a graduate of Woodbury Forest School in Virginia. He earned his PhD in creative writing from Georgia State University. In 2018, Chris was a Townsend Prize finalist, a finalist for Georgia Author of the Year Award, and long-listed for the Southern Book Prize. He lives with his wife and two sons in Atlanta, where he is the English Department Chair at Holy Innocence Episcopal School. Without any further ado, here is our interview with Christopher Swan. Well, we are most honored to have novelist and educator Christopher Swan on this evening. He's got several books out. But in this foray, we're going to focus on his new book, Never Turn Back. And uh, Chris, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, man. How are you? I cannot complain. And if I did, no one would want to hear it. So I just try to keep that to myself. Um, (laughs) We always like to kind of get off on uh, the COVID note. Uh, How are you staying sane in this time of COVID? Well, I'm teaching high school and we're in session, so I'm not sure that I am. Um, <laughs> I've been, I, I'll have to find you a picture. I've been walking around, I have a mask on at, uh, at work and I've got a face shield on over that half the time where I put Dr. Swan <laughs> and tape on the front. Because okay. I put it on, I realized I, I look like, I look like a half-assed welder. For this thing. <laughs> Plus it says face shield at the top. So. Right. I just covered that up with my name and my students are like, that's not like, that's so, that's so dorky and bad. That's good. So uh, humor. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's okay. I'm, I've, I mean, I've got a, I got a roof over my head. Um, I have, you know, got a wife, got two sons. We're all healthy. Knock on wood. I've got a dog who hopefully will not be barking in the background of this, but who knows? I've got uh, a job I love. It's just, everything's a little harder. Everything's a little more stressful. Everything requires a little bit more time, but you know, you do what you gotta do. Exactly. It's, it's, it, it's, it's the whole thing, this, this whole year has kind of been, um, this may sound cliche, but you, you start to reassess what's important and how important is that to you? Um, and in your life, uh, have you found solace in your creative writing? Yeah. And sometimes it's been funny. I've, um, in April, you know, we had the most gorgeous spring I can remember in Georgia mm-hmm. this past spring. And of course, we're all like, we're all stuck inside watching outside opening up. And I teach poetry and I love teaching poetry. And I've, I've tried writing it and I've written maybe five poems and it's probably six too many. <laughs> but I had fun. Like I'm walking the dog a lot. And our dog was like, why are you home all the time? But we're walking the dog a lot. <laughs> You're wearing and, me out, man. <laughs> and I'm, I'm writing. Um, so I get these little flashes, dumb ideas that pop in my head. And so I pull out my phone and I start tweeting uh, a dumb haiku I just made up. My wife's like, you should keep doing this. So I 
Mm-hmm. Hashtag coronaverse, and I'm just making haiku. And some of them are serious, and a lot of them are silly. Um, that was actually a pretty good outlet just for it, it focused me and got me to think about something about what was going on, but instead of just like curling up in a fetal position or watching the news 24-7. Yeah. Um, I am glad I had the heavy rewrites done. I never turned back before uh the pandemic because and i was talking with some other writers online starting something new right at that moment i'm like i i'm i'm having i'm having to work to do copy edits and once i get started it's fine mm-hmm. and i had an, i've got another work that i'm already doing i'm going to get done you know knock on wood within the next couple of weeks and i can send that to my editor but starting something brand new at that point oh man Right now, I'm I'm feeling better. Uh, the human mind is amazing. You can get used to about anything. Sometimes it's a curse, but uh, yeah, it's hard. Sure. Starting was hard, but now 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 I think people have got a little bit more of a handle. It's not like every day is a disaster. Mm-hmm. So it just that it, you 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 just made my life so much easier by saying that because there have been projects that I have that not to my detriment that I put off, but just I knew that I was going to carry in this chaos, yep. you know, into, especially when I do video work, you know, I don't, the last thing I want to do is give a poetry tutorial. Like I'm being caught in, you know, doing something illegal, you know? Um, but it does it, it. This, this is something that I know that in my lifetime, I've never, I've never seen happen. Oh, no. And it, and it, it definitely put a, a, a dent in my creativity. Uh, and what I did start to put out was all about COVID somehow. You know, and I think that one of those poems is just about one too many, like you just said. Um, but it, it just intrigues me how the creative mind um, survives through this kind of trauma, because we are a different kind of beast than the um, than those who can kind of objectively look. We, we I think we tend to go to the center of things and because uh, we do feel so much. And that's not a detriment. I think that's a real part, and especially like, you know, how we can craft characters that are believable because, yeah. we're, you know, it's, you know, and that's one of the things that, and your novels, um, swinging back that direction, that uh, has always amazed me is that, you know, you're able to capture both male and female characters so convincingly. And, um, you know, it is, it's, it's, it's one of those, in your dialogue uh, is, it flows so natural. And talking about dialogue, how, how do you tackle that when you have two characters talking to one another? Like, how many people, how many players do you have on the stage in your head? Usually two. And then if I've, and then if there's somebody else, might every once in a while jump in, sort of like a beat. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of I'm not a musician, but if I do that, I, you know, I get a rhythm going between the two. And every once in a while, you need somebody to add a backbeat, you need somebody to put a little off, you know. And if I keep going, I'm to sound like some some sort of half-assed jazz wannabe musician, which I'm not. But um, I, you know, I try to imagine characters talking. I try to imagine. Uh, I'll think about people that I know in real life. And I tell this to my students that I teach if we're doing creative writing, like, you know, listen to people talk. I was like, don't be creepy about it. Don't go tape record them or something, right? But I just dated myself. They're like, what's a tape recorder? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, you know, people are, people are, uh, people say things, especially if they don't, if they're not thinking about it, people, people have strange sayings or strange uses of words that they say. And, mm-hmm. So I, you try to, you file that away and go, okay, I want to use that. Yeah. You know, um, 
there's a story I just taught, uh, Bullet in the Brain by uh, Tobias Wolf. And uh, it's his, I don't know if you know the story, the, the main character is a, he's a book critic and he's real cynical and he's in line at the bank and the line is long and he's just sort of, he's, he's critical of everything. He's just a sour character. Yeah. And two guys come in and rob the bank. And they're like, everybody shut up or you're dead meat. And he turned, and this book critic goes, oh, dead meat. Great language. That, that's right out of Hemingway's The Killers. And the people are like, will you shut up? <laughs> and, and he antagonizes the bank robber so much that they shoot him in the head. And that's halfway through the story. While the bullet's going through his brain, it goes through all these lists of things he doesn't remember. All these things you think he would remember, what he does remember, the one thing he gets to remember for the last few milliseconds of his life is being a kid playing baseball and some, somebody, a uh, neighborhood friend brought his cousin from Mississippi who he never saw before and he'll never see again. But they ask him, what, what do you want to play? What position do you want to play? And the cousin says, shortstop, that's the best, play, that's the best position they is. Mm -hmm. And the man is like, they is. And he wants the kid to say it again, but he won't ask him. Yeah. Because he knows it'll sound like, it's not like he's making fun of it, but what he's, he loves the language. He loves the sound of it. So he, his last memory as he's dying is him, is him going out to outfield saying to himself, they is, they is. This sort of love of how people talk and what you can do with words, which obviously he'd lost and just because then became a book critic. Right. But, but I think, of, I think of things like that where how do people talk and you'd want to make it entertaining and funny. And one of the things, one summer as a teacher, you, when you first start, you take a lot of summer jobs and a lot of temp work. And I worked for AT&T for about six weeks doing transcription. I was listening to, I was listening to uh, executives inter talking to each other about how are we going to sell our products? This is back in the 90s. So like, how do we right. sell three-way calling? Like, it was about as exciting as you, as it, you know, I'm making it sound. Right. But I typed it up exactly like they were talking. Mm -hmm. And I can type really quickly. Right. And I gave it to them. The next day I came back, they said, you have to change all of this. I said, why? They said, you made it sound like exactly like they're talking. Every, uh, er, it, they sounded like third graders have been dropped in their head because when people really <laughs> talk, they don't, right? Uh -huh. Especially in some sort of formal setting. So that actually taught me a lot. Okay, that's, that's not how to write dialogue. Like, don't talk, don't write how people literally talk, especially in formal settings, but find those things that they say that are going to be funny. Find those funny uses of words and language. It's going to make a reader interested in them and maybe laugh and tell you something about the character. And once I have a, once I got a kid, a character's voice in my head, I just listen and I write that down. And I go back and smooth it out. But that's, it's a lot of fun doing that. This new book, Never Turn Back. Uh, the main character, Ethan, and his sister, Susanna, I had a blast with them uh -huh. they just snipe at one another. And there are all these loaded things they have to say to one another. And they care about each other, too. And yeah. so it was, it's a lot of fun doing that. Uh -huh. um, anyway. No, it just, I just, it, it's, it's like I have to bite my tongue just so many times. I, I don't think that you're a wannabe jazz musician. I think that you are a jazz musician. I think I'm serious. Now, just give me a minute. Let me, let me explain myself. Um, the the musical sound when, when you are the second prose writer and all the prose writers we've mentioned to talk about the musical quality of what they write and uh it was rafala was the other one who who said that you know he speaks out he reads his work out loud to listen for that beat and i thought that's the first time now the second time that i've heard somebody outside of poetry say that 
um, it, it's, it's got to have a natural cadence to make the person want to keep reading along. And I think that, yeah. you know, like you were saying, if you, if you tried to literally transcribe it to the book, it wouldn't, it would, it would kind of, it would get boring. I think if you didn't, if you didn't inject that music. Absolutely. And I, I will, I'll, I'll read aloud to myself and the point of my wife's like, who are you talking to? I'm like, nothing I'm writing. Now at this point, she knows what I mean. Right. Um, but yeah, I'll just, does that sound right? Does that work? Is that something you could say? And some of that, some of that's been listening to um, uh, audiobooks. I'm lucky enough to not have a very long commute. I live close to where I work. Huh? But when I was in book tour for Shadow of the Lions, my first, my first book, I was driving up and down the East Coast for the paperback, just living on my friend's couches and going to different bookstores and stuff. Remember that? Remember we used to go to bookstores? Yeah, uh, yeah. You, live, live, you know, live. Uh, but, but I was listening to audiobooks and I, I listened to what else? Uh, Commonwealth by Ann Patchett and Hope Davis, I think, was the And huh? listening to that voice and being able to read now and she was reading ann patchett i mean i'll i'll i don't care what ann patchett writes I'll, I'll read it all day long but right listening to somebody who's really good at voices do it and that that even just that that underscore the musicality of it and the the, mm -hmm. the way you can reach and grab a reader and you're like i know who that person is i know that character yeah I don't know. It it's fun um, to do. It's fun to imagine them. And and also, I was a, I was a big West Wing fan when the show was out. And that's all. I mean, that's all walk and talk. That's all dialogue. Aaron Sorkin loves that stuff. And it, after a lot of it, it gets tiring. But that's like reading. If you read the same kind of book all the time, after a while, you're like, I need something different. But yeah. Well, let's just start back at the beginning. Tell us about the books that you have out now, and what what those are, what, what you focus on in each. Uh, uh, Shadow of the Lions is my first one. Um, coming of age mystery set in a boarding school in Virginia, uh, where I needed a beginning. I had a, I had a friend, I had two friends, um, and I knew they were having some kind of conflict. And my wife said, you need, you need, you need a prologue where something dramatic happens. Have, you know, have, you need a dead body, have somebody die. Have a dead body in the first page and i said no he doesn't die he vanishes she said what are you talking about i said i have no idea and i walked down the hall to our office and i sat down and started writing the prologue to that where the these two roommates in boarding school get in an argument one of them drives his friend off friends runs off in the woods and disappears and stays disappeared like no one finds him police fbi no one 10 years later, the main character, Matthias, goes back to the school for a teaching job. Uh, he's got this big hole in his life. And since his friend's gone, he's been kind of arrested at age 18 since. And he stumbles across some information about what might have happened to his friend, and he starts digging. And that's where that goes. Um, Never Turn Back is a little bit more of a thriller, uh, character-driven, set here in Atlanta. Um, Based on, you know, it's, let's see, Macbeth, Pat Conroy, and something happened with my own family. Uh, influenced all that. Uh, guy, guy in his young, uh, Ethan Faulkner, he's in his 20s. He's got a good teaching career. Life seems to be good. And that's pretty remarkable because uh, about 10 years before, he and his little sister, Susanna, were tragically orphaned violently. 
and had to go live with his uncle Gavin, who they find out is more than a little bit shady. And so Ethan grows up, moves out, and puts his uncle and that life behind him. But he's got his, he's got his daddy's voice. The last thing his dad told him was, watch your sister. Mm-hmm. Keeping an eye on his little sister, who didn't really want an eye kept on her. And she's, she's a mess. Well, she shows up in Ethan's doorstep, drags trouble with her, and he's got to deal with that, and he's got to finally deal with uh, his own past. And so that's what that book is about. Um, what's the William Faulkner line? You know, the past isn't, isn't dead, isn't even past. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was hoping that was the one you're going to say. That's it. it. I mean, in the way, I mean, again, like I, I think I say this in every show, but I never flatter because I think flattery is the only socially acceptable way to lie. Um, so when I tell you, like, another thing I love about your books is that you don't, you don't waste a lot of time with exposition. You let the story be told by the characters, like the way you'd actually see it. You, and you don't have a, I mean, I'd hope you didn't, but like a voice that would come in and tell you that's what they're thinking and that's what they're doing. And that's, you know, because that's, that's an easy way to write. You know, I mean, as you describe it, I see that same meticulous, it's almost like a chemist where you have different, different, uh, like atoms and different, you know, chemicals that you'll kind of spruce in there and, and push around. And to me, it's like, I, I, when I read you, it's like you have words like finger paint and you'll, you'll move it around and you, you flow through each page. I've often wondered from the first day I read your books, like, I wonder how much music this guy listens to. Do you ever listen to music while you write? I used to um, for a long time and, and then found, realized that um, whatever I was, and I listen to, I mean, I, I like, I'll listen to old Bruce Springsteen. I'll listen to Taylor Swift. I'll listen to the B-52s. I'll listen to everything. I'll Beethoven. I, found, I started putting like movie soundtracks on in the background because I would just get wrapped up in the words and that would kind of be distracting. And I've, and I've heard other writers say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's just also because I'm getting older. But um, I don't listen to music so much right now when I write. I've, I've kind of learned, uh, you know, I'm ADD like a whole lot of creatives, but yeah. One thing I can do is hyper-focus. So once I'm, if I'm into the store, I've started and, I'm, and I put my phone away and I'm like, I want to, wait, I'm reading this book. Nope, put that down. <laughs> um, then then I, I don't need the music as much anymore. But yeah, I, I one thing when, when I, I'm a product of you know, the Creative Writing Academy. I mean, I've got a PhD in creative writing mm-hmm. and I learned a lot and I met a lot of good people, a lot of good writers. Um, both in the class and also teaching the class. But I know that one of the criticisms of, of that has been a lot of creative, people that come out of creative writing classrooms write really beautifully about not very much. Right. And I have always liked, you know, I've always liked story. I like something that happens. I mean, I had a classmate who's a, she's a brilliant writer as years ago. She was in workshops. She said, I just, I just need to get my characters off the couch. And she wasn't trying to be funny. I mean, I almost started laughing and I realized she's like, no, I mean, I have them taught, like she had dialogue down great, but she's like, I need, I need them to do something. Uh, that, like, Cliff, I know you're a huge fan of Pat Conroy and um, I remember reading him and he, he always struck me. He was very, he's a Southern author, but he's also a very, he could be a very lyrical author in his prose but that was always in service of some kind of story. Mm-hmm. I mean, his novels are not boring. There is some, there's drama happening all throughout. And it's not, it's not necessarily melodramatic and there are moments that are in like the best sense of the word, but 
that you are gripped in the, like, what's going to happen next? You want to turn the page. So, you know, whether it's Prince of Tides or Lords of Discipline or any, that, that's the kind of thing that I love. I love, you know, uh, Martin Cruz Smith, who wrote Gorky Park yeah. and Polar Starlight's Arkady Renko novels. And, and he's known as a thriller writer, but, you know, New York Times said he's one of our best thriller writers, but he's also one of our best writers, period. The man can write mm-hmm. and he knows character. And he's really good at giving just a little bit of detail without like you're saying, let me explain all of this backstory. And he was writing about characters in the old Soviet Union and now modern day Russia, but he didn't stop for five pages to give you a history of the Politburo or whatever. I mean, he just, right. he just and, and I love that because you wanted to know more. I like reading books from like, I've happened, I know nothing about that world. Exactly. And he gives you just enough. And in the meantime, you've got this investigator who's, invest- who's looking at a murder and trying to figure out who did what. And so you've got the story working that way. I, I like stories that have all of those things that work together. Um, you know, I, I like things that aren't, genre is a dirty word in, in the Creative Writing Academy. Yeah. But, and I get it, sometimes just, that's why, again, somebody like Pat Conroy, what's his genre? Exactly. Southern, drama. I, and know. I think that's I think that's when you've got your hands on a on a quality author and when you can't peg them. I think uh, and I say this about you. I, I, I can't. I think the highest one of the highest compliments that could be paid is I can't think of a writer that sounds like you. You know, and I'm serious. It, it's just you know, and again, it's, it's it's that's what excites me because again, it's this bubble of a world that's like I don't know anything like this. You know, and uh, I, I've often I got to ask because I read your when I read your first book, um, I thought this needs to be a movie. I mean, it is, and you already said when you listen to, you know, soundtrack. Uh, that's a trick question. No, sir. No, sir. Um, <laughs> no, no. We don't. <laughs> um, it just, it, it's a, it's a, it, the, the, the way, have you ever, when you write your books, do you, do you see it as a, as a movie in your head as the characters play out? I, I, I some, I do, I, but I don't mean that. I hesitate to say that because it, well, you know, I'm writing this so that when, when Hollywood comes around, like, no, not like that. I know that's not what you're asking, but yeah, I mean, I try to, uh, I imagine the scenes, I try to see them. Right. And I also am aware, you know, I love teaching film and film techniques in my English classes because, you know, students without knowing it, they're really good at deconstructing and taking things apart and analyzing them. They've been doing it their whole lives with TV shows and movies. Mm-hmm same part of your brain rewired a little bit and you, that's what you do with literature, just a little mm-hmm. slower. But uh, so I've loved, I, I like thinking of things in that way, like trying to imagine it as a scene while also knowing that fiction can do things that movies can't. Mm-hmm. Um, it has its own strengths and you can, you can more easily jump into different perspectives than you can say in a film. But yeah, I, I like trying to picture it that way. I think it, it makes it easier for me to see it and I think it helps. Uh, I think it helps make things a little bit easier for a reader to picture in their heads. Um, you know, that's th- that's that's my goal. If I'm writing a story, I want I want the reader to go along. And at some point, you, you don't the reader you don't want the reader to really realize that they're reading. Mm-hmm. You know, every once in a while, when I'm reading a really good book and I get a line, I'll stop and go, "That was a damn good line." Let me let me. I want to do that again. I want. Wait a minute. Yeah. But most of the time, you're just turning the page, you know, 
you know, you don't want to be, it's John Gardner wrote about that. He said, you want to, this vivid and continuous dream, you want that to be happening in the reader's head. Metafiction's a different beast. That's a different thing. But you know, anything that get that, anything that distract, detracts from that dream, you know, you might want to throw out, do you really need it? Do you need right. the five page description of, let me give you the backstory on, man, my first novel, that's underneath my bed and it's going to stay there. I think I talked about this before. Uh, part of it, it's like third rate Pat Conroy wannabe, father, son, fisherman fighting each other. The mom has just died. The Irish Republican army is involved. Huh. That's, that's exactly how New York responded when I sent it out and that's how they should have. And it, it didn't make any damn sense. Like they go to Ireland and there's a scene with this old, crusty old Irishman is like, I'm gonna tell you what happened to your cousin, but first let me give you 10 pages of the troubles. And, and literally <laughs> I wrote, that's what I did. Hopefully in a, not that bad of an accent, but <laughs> it, I thought it was great. It was awful. I learned a lot writing that book. Right. I learned how not to write. And I learned, exactly, I was about to say. <laughs> I learned how not to write some stuff, but I, but I had, I, there's scenes in there, I'm like, these are damn good scenes and, and, and some really good dialogue that I can lift or repurpose and use somewhere else. Or at least I know, you know what, I was able to do it, now I can do it again. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Chris, I mean, seriously, it, it's the, the humor and, and humility that you have with, with, with the way you speak is mirrored without question within your work. Um, the, the fact that when you have that one line and, and you say like, that's really good, you know, those, those, those are the nuggets that I think that keep us going, you know, that, that if, if we don't, I mean, and maybe I'm just speaking too much myself, but if I don't get tickled at my own jokes and if I don't get emotionally moved by what I'm trying to explain, I don't think the re reader will either. Um, no, I, and I can't remember who's no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. I can't remember who said that, but I read that once thought that's hmm? yeah. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I'm a high school English teacher. I cry at sunsets and supermarket openings, man. I'll cry at anything. So I turned in my like man card years ago. I don't Me too. I don't think I ever had one, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, but you know, if if I'm not because we've all had that moment we've read it, we've read a book and we read a scene, you're like, oh my, you know, you and it could be, you know, it, it could be something like a little life, which I don't know if you've read it, but that's just mm -hmm. God, I cried how many times reading that thing. And it was devastating, but so damn good. But it doesn't have to be a book just like that. It can be anything where, um, you know, these, these two characters are, they're never going to get back together again. And you're like, why? Why does that? Why? Uh -huh. um, you know, I, I tell my students, we spend all this time reading books and caring about and talking about people who actually don't literally exist but they mirror people who do. And that's why, that's why we read these things, you know, that we read them, we want an entertaining story, but we also want that kind of, we want connection. We want to understand a new world or we want to understand other people. We, and I think now more than ever, we want to connect with other people because now the only way we can really connect with other people is what we're, you know, you and I are looking at each other in a computer screen right now. Right. Um, and, well, I would much rather be in person and sitting in a bar and talking with you like that. I know that's not possible right now. So we'll do that again. At some, we'll do that at some point. Right. But, uh, that's stories now. We need those more than ever. And I, I'm, I'm going to keep writing them. 
and and if somebody buys them, that's fantastic. Uh, and if they don't, you know, then I'll, I'll they will. A little bit they will. The next one. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it it I when 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 COVID started. I mean, I used to, I, and I don't know. I mean, God. I mean, not like I mean, I just not the faith and 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 the artist's ability. And at first I felt so hokey thinking it, like we have more of a responsibility now to write to ease than ever before, you know, and that connectedness. I've never heard that outside. And it's, it's a theory that I've been working on because everyone is so afraid and everyone is, if, if they had a distraction. I mean, I think uh, I read that during the great depression, the only thing that continued to sell were, was fiction. There were people were again, were going out and hungry for that story. That was not this depressing, literally scene outside. Um, and, uh, the, the, the idea, I'm going to throw this at you. Like when somebody says, uh, I totally invented this character that sounds and walks and talks and absolutely real. I'm like, you didn't No, you didn't, you know, there's somebody that you knew or, you know, I th do you believe that like that, that, a, that, a, that a convincing character can actually be pulled from nothing or is it, is that believability because we either feel it or we've seen it on firsthand basis in someplace else? Yes. <laughs> yes, to both. I, 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 there was a, um, I guess I teach high school, so we, we joke that we're all like frustrated comedians who make a living teaching or frustrated because <laughs> we, we, you get up and you do your, you, you act a certain, especially English teachers, uh, I think. And um, I saw an interview with Christopher Walken where he talked about acting and he said, every, every role I do is part me. And he goes, because what else, it was like, what else do I know? And it wasn't an ego thing. It's like, I, everything I know is through my filter. I filter everything through my own perspective, my brain. I can imagine being other people. I can imagine, but every, it's still through me. So I think to answer your question, if you're going to write characters, yeah, I, I, everything is going to be filtered through my experience. I just need to be aware of that and be aware of, okay, I don't want them to all sound like me and I don't want them all sound like each other. Right. Um, and then, yeah, then you can add things, then you can make things up. Mm -hmm. uh, I, it's hard because there's, you know, are, are we artists or are we craftsmen? Yes. Yes, the both, there, yeah. There is, there's a lot of craft and then there is something, you know, we, anyone who writes, there's some point where you're like, did I just write that? What, what just happened on the page? Um, now that happens a lot where I'm like, how the hell, why did I write that and you throw it away and start over? But sometimes you write something like that. That was not what I was expecting. I was not expecting Susanna to say that to her brother. I was not expecting Ethan to make this choice. I was not expecting, you know, the uncle to be this way. So, so I think you've got, you just have to be kind of open to that. And I think that, trying to write in these times especially you do want to write you, you want to write stories that are going to engage people even if it's just to take their minds off of things on another another angle of that of that uh i've talked to other authors like are you writing are you writing things now that are set now and if so how do you handle that yeah and i've got a book that that's going to come out next year um it's, it's another thriller. It's set in Western North Carolina and um, it's set next summer. And so 
I'm, I've got sections in it where they're talking about like, hopefully, you know, there's a little bit more of a handle on COVID, but people are wearing masks and all. And I wrote it in a way where if my editor says, you know what, I'm not sure this is working. Cause I'm not, I'm not, no one wants to write a novel that's about COVID. Right. Well, they do. I'm like, dude, wait, like, wait 10 years. Right. To get the proper perspective. Right. So, but if I'm doing, I've written in a way. So if my editor is like, I don't think this is working, I can lift those parts out. But I, I, I wrestle with it. it. It's if we have a duty right now more than ever to, you know, provide stories for readers in, in a world that's starving for them. Mm-hmm. Um, don't we also have, uh, we have a responsibility to some extent to reflect the world we're in. Mm-hmm. I mean, we try to do that in our stories. We try to make them realistic enough. Even if you're writing fantasy, even if you're writing science fiction, you still want people to go, okay, I can believe that and buy it and follow these characters. Yeah. But there's magic. Great. Like Harry Potter's got magic in it, but it's also, yeah, I recognize school schoolyard bullies and teachers you didn't like and mm-hmm. feeling lost when you're growing up and finding your friends and, all that. Um, so yeah, that's something I'm trying to figure out. How do we do that? And a lot of people are saying, yeah, I'm just setting my stories back in like 2016 or something. So it's still <laughs> modern, but I don't have to. And I get it because it's, it, it, this is a time where uh, people are uneasy, you know, yeah. and I don't know if you know it, but there's an election coming up. So I, I hadn't heard about that. Who? That, that, pray, pray tell. What's that about? <laughs> that's, that's, that's got a few people on edge. Uh, I think so. I think I, I've, I've, I've actually taken Facebook off my phone to get away from that madness. Um, but again, it's, it's yeah, I, I would accept, I, I would, I would probably get off of social media, except that uh, I, I need to use it as best I can to promote this book coming out. But um, and again, that's that's the segue, and, and that's exactly what I do. And I think that's why I don't get so pent up and pissy because I get on there um, when when my my first publisher said, "Cliff, you need to get a Facebook page," and I was like, "No, dude, I'm not doing that." And he goes, "You need to until we get your website." And I remember saying, like, that's the angry ex-girlfriend finder. You know, that's, 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 I'm saying that's going to be a red flare. And it exactly did that. Like, what are you doing? I want to see you. No, you don't. Block. That block button, I wish is in real life. I can just poke people in the chest and be like, why won't you go away? But uh, social media is a huge part of getting it out there. And I think that when you, I don't think, I, this is the one thing I do know, is that if you leave your politics and what you're angry about, or, you know, just these, yeah. you know, they're not saying they're wrong, but if you leave that out and, you know, it, conversate with people about that in person um people are going to be drawn to you online and want to read your books because it's like you know let them let the reader find out how you feel through your work not through these tyrants and rants on social media um so i mean again that's it's and it's one thing again that that you're always funny in a respectable way you know and and you know you're never so heavy-handed and you know again it's like the you see the craftsmanship that goes into your work. And I was, I was, I was in an interview on Tuesday and, and I'm not going to call out any names, but, uh, and maybe this is a shortcoming of mine. If, if the author is a terrible person in life, it's, yeah. it's difficult for me to like their work, you know, like, like on the record, like they come out, like they just, just a deplorable human. I, you know, with, with, with you, like I, it, it does. I mean, it's like, I like that guy and it makes me want to read his work because again, it's like, it's, it's, it's like, you're not going to introduce me to a friend that's not cool because you're cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you're not going to refer somebody and I'm going to come back and be like, Chris, what the hell, man? He punched me in the face. You know, it's, 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 it's just a why him. Yeah. 
it's just the back of the hand, man. Uh, it, you're, it, again, it's like you, you, and then that, that personal and that, that personality and those tears and the, and the, and the laughter is right there on the page too. Um, and I mean, I just, I can't wait for a never turn back to come out, you know, so we get a hold on that and you have a, tell us about the book launch on that real quick. When uh, is a never, never turn back and become the book launch? October 6th. Um, it's, I work at Holiness and Spiscal School in Atlanta and uh, they, they've been incredibly supportive and kind and giving me, you know, and they're excited. I mean, they're excited to have somebody, I taught this is my 25th year teaching there. Nice. And um yeah i started when i was 12 and good that still works okay good so <laughs> I, I they were very supportive that when i had when my when shadow of the lines came out i was trying to find a place uh, uh to launch um and <laughs> i was worried about it because uh my kids emily giffen who's a writer here in, and she she's a friend um our kids went to school together and so they're always parents that you know, we all knew each other, became friends. And Emily's in like a completely different category than I am. So she would have a launch and she would run out like an entire restaurant or something and, and, and have these parties. And we got invited to a few. So when I said my book was coming out, my friends, the first thing all, our mutual friends said was, that's fantastic. I'm happy for you. The second was, when's the party? Mm. And I looked at my wife, Kathy, and said, I think we're in trouble because they're imagining some and my publisher was like, well, we can go to a bookstore. I'm like, okay, um, can they serve wine? And they're like, no, do you need that? I'm like, yeah, no, like we don't need a gaseous <laughs> party, but my, these friends, they're going to, they're going to come on a Tuesday night. They're going to want a glass of wine and you know, a, a tray of crackers at a local bookstore, that's not going to cut it for them. So uh, my school said, well, what, we'll do it. And, you know, we had, you know, 300 people came and had, you know, wine and beer and hors d'oeuvres. And I signed books for like an hour and a half. And I knew doing like, that's not going to, this is not going to happen again this way. So I, I treasured that. Uh, with this one, uh, obviously can't have an in-person thing. I mean, some people are doing that, but I was like, I, mm, I'm, I'm not comfortable doing that. No. So, but Holy Innocence said, we're happy to do it again. And we've gotten pretty good at Zoom because we've had a whole lot of practice since March. So uh, we've got Carmen Didi, who is a great storyteller. I taught her daughter at Holy Innocence years ago, and she works a lot with, uh, our, with our lower school kids and is fantastic. She's going to interview me, um, probably have a giveaway or two of a book. Uh, sent out an invite to everybody. That's going to that's gonna be a lot of fun. It's going to be sad that it's not going to be in person. But I'm going to try to make that a little more interactive because I've heard a lot of book events and I've been to some online. It's great, especially since we're all stuck at home. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people are trying to do them the same way. It's been like, they're, they're trying to do the same things on this, that on Zoom that they would do in person. And it's not exactly the same. So... Mm -hmm you don't have that in-person sort of excitement and energy, right? Right. So going to try to find some ways to make it a little bit more interactive. Um, so I'm, I'm picking up ideas and trying to do that. And I've got, I got events set up with uh, bookstores, people that I met when I uh, was selling Shadow, mm -hmm. went around and did that. Um, a few libraries, I've been posting that on my website and been adding to that. I just added another one today. So that's, that's encouraging. Um, 
and I'm doing a book blog tour, which I'm not exactly sure what that is. Or I wasn't sure what that was, but now it's uh, getting in, being interviewed by different folks on Instagram and so forth. And you know, I, I, I am over, like when, when my first book came out, um, I actually went on a physical tour and was like, I had a hotel room to myself. And I haven't had a hotel room to myself since, I don't know, I was 20. <laughs> so uh -huh. whatever, I'm like, this is for, look, there's an iron in here. Like, this is for me. Like, this is, and I was all like, golly gee whiz. And I'm over that now, but I'm never over, I never want to be over, you know, going into a store and whether there's, you know, two people or 25 or 80 or whoever, someone in there that wants is like, okay, tell me about your book. Well, I think I'm going to buy a copy. Would you mind signing it? Like, I, I love that. And I love talking to people who've read my books. And I, you know, I've seen the vet, 99% of the, of the other writers that I've met are kind, one, like you, warm, generous, giving care, like enthusiastic, support other writers. Cause it's not a zero sum game. It's not like, you know, oh my God, you know, Cliff's got a book coming out the same week I do. Damn it. I'm like, no, that's, it's not like people buy one book. Exactly. Right? I love this interview so much. <laughs> so let's, let's please, it's fine. So, but I know there's a handful of people. Uh, there are a handful of people who, you know, oh yeah. Every, I love all these, all these, except for so-and-so, you know, here yeah. or whatever, or you'll see them. You're like, why? don't be a diva. Exactly. Don't, don't be, you know, you're not walking in water. No, um, no. And I mean, you, you try to see like, you know, where can we cross pollinate? You know, it's like, cause yeah. everybody, people say, and I've heard time and time again, that the art world is a small pond with too many big fish. I don't believe that at all. I think it's a vast expanse of ocean with too many fish that don't want to share, you know? And yeah. again, and, and you have to be picky about who obviously, you know, that you get in cahoots with, but, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's so much to unpack. They're going to have to have you on again. The businessman that the business hat that you can put on and say, all right, how do we take something that I've done and make it better? You know, how can we change this stale idea that's been beat to death and make this something that's, that's attractive for, for people to want to come and see. Yeah. And many writers that I've come across are like, you know, they'll get that book, that contract and their book in their hands and they'll go, well, where's that million dollars? Like, well, you got to go sell that book now. You got to, you know, and when you, and, and you, you, I, I personally kind of distance myself and detached the, the minute I feel like this diva come out, like, I'm not going to, I never get hurt. I'm just like, you know, it's, I just kind of go mental note, like, let's go find somebody else who, who sees yeah. the value and, and other good writing because on, on, again, on social media, the bazillion people that are on there, they, it, it's crazy how they'll notice two people that actually like each other. And not somebody going, I think you're a genius. Oh, I think you're a genius. Oh, no, no, you're a genius. It's the, the, the tangible kindness that's in, you, that's in you and your person and the way you do business makes me want to buy your book. You know, and because I know it's not manufactured. It's something that you actually bring to the stage. No, my mama raised me right, too. I mean, that's, I, I, and I make my living as an as a English teacher. And I, I say this to readers. I say it to my students. Is I make my living in part getting up in front of groups of people who might not want to listen to what I have to say. And part of my job is to convince you that what I'm saying is worth listening to and what I'm asking you to do is worth doing. Now, when I say that to people who've come to a bookstore, I'm like, look, y'all came here voluntarily unless they, you know, rounded you up and said, you must go see this swan guy. So I'm already winning. 
Um, yeah. And that usually gets me a few laughs and maybe people buy a book because of that. And, that, and yeah, I want people to buy my book, but it's more, we've all been to, we've all been to events where there's an artist of some sort and you're like, I want to see this. I want to see the song. I want to, I want to listen to this poet, poem. I want to hear what this woman has to say about her book. And they're, you know, if the, it's, like, it's like watching a comedian who's dying on stage. You're like, oh man, don't, or like they want to give a read. Like I've, I've talked about readings before in bookstores. Sometimes I get this look of horror or, or fear usually from booksellers. Do you, do you want to read from your book? I'm like, do you want me to read from my <laughs> Oh wait, you're right. Cause I, we've all been, you know, with the, she borrows a pen from me to take notes while I give her. Exactly. Pen. Like a speaking spell. Dude, like, there's got to be a there's got to be an element of theatrics. To, there, there, you have to. I mean, yeah, you know, you don't have to be Charles Dickens or Mark Twain, but that doesn't hurt. You know, they, no, and they basically did dramatic interpretations of their own works, um, and people like that. Well, people like to be entertained. Um, exactly. I'd rather try that and fail doing that because most people would be like, okay, he's he's trying. Okay, I get it. Rather than just get up and. So yeah, I wrote a book. Buy it, thanks. Uh, I'm, we're, shortest, shortest book uh, review ever. No, <laughs> no, but not my favorite. My favorite. My favorite review. Favorites in quotes uh, online. Um, it was on Goodreads. It was one star, and I was like, okay, what's this? Uh, it was one word: fiction. I was like yeah like i really <laughs> wanted to respond i, I didn't because you don't that doesn't do anything no good. no I, that's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down say nice things i hope they don't think i'm stalking them but if people say nice things in goodreads i'll write them a note and say thank you so much i'm glad you liked it exactly sometimes they're like oh my god i'm like i'm i'm a normal human i, I read this and i'm like thank you for saying a nice thing about my book it means a lot and it, and other people see that you know it's uh it's just common courtesy uh, but yeah, that one, I was like, yeah, yeah it's fiction. That, that's, you are correct. Were you expecting something else? Like, I'm right. sorry, but that's, that's on you. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's funny, but I love, you know, I'm just happy people are interested in the books and that I write and want to know more. And um, I hope that I never, ever lose that you know, that thankfulness and that sort of humility, like, okay, you, of all the things going on in the world, of all the noise out there, through all that, somehow, my book landed on your, you know, on your email inbox. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, or you saw it on, you know, hopefully not giant online retailers, but more an independent bookstore or library, but whatever. And you found it and said, okay, I'm gonna try this out. Mm. You know, thank you. Um, it's, uh, it's humbling to have, it's one thing to have people, you know, and friends say, Oh, I read this and I love it. It's another thing to have a complete stranger say this, this book meant something. Um, so yeah, I, I hope to never lose that feeling. Both Cliff and I want to say thank you for spending your time with us. We also want to say thank you to Christopher Swan for a great interview about craft and about the love of writing. You definitely should check him out at Christopher Swan, that's with two N's, dot com. And definitely check out his new book, Never Turn Back.
You can find Cliff Brooks at cliffbrooks.com. Also, southerncollectiveexperience.com. You can find me at michaelamaday.com or worldpoetryopenmic.net. The music for this episode was provided by the fantastic Justin Johnson. You can find him at justinjohnsonlive.com. Until next time, remember to be courageous, do the hard work, conquer your obstacles creatively, learn to trust your heart, for it's easy to lose your path in this business of music and poetry. Music